0: Lesson 1 for June 29 to July 5, ready for teaching on Sabbath July 6, God Created, from the series The Least of These, Ministering to Those in Need, read today by Dr. Percy Harold. Introduction to This Quarter's Lessons The author of This Quarter's Lessons is Jonathan Duffy, who served as President of ADRA International since 2012. Before joining ADRA Australia in 2008, Duffy served as Director of Adventist Health for the Church's South Pacific Division, where he had extensive experience in health promotion and community health development. He's also a personal friend of mine. We work together in the South Pacific Division. And as a treat for us, today he reads the introduction to our series of lessons, The Least
1: of These... The least of these, Seventh-day Adventists, are called to proclaim the everlasting gospel, Revelation 14.6, to all the world. By so doing, we are simply obeying Jesus' words about making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, Matthew 28.20. And among the things he commanded was that we minister to the hurting, the downtrodden, the poor, the hungry, and the imprisoned. After all it was Jesus who after telling the parable of the good samaritan Luke 10:30-36 30 then commanded his listeners go and do likewise Luke 10:37 It was Jesus who in depicting the time when he would divide the nations before him as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats Matthew 25:32 talked about just how important helping the hungry the sick the naked and the imprisoned really is. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me, Matthew twenty five forty. In other words, along with proclaiming the great truths about salvation, the sanctuary, the state of the dead, and the perpetuity of the law, we are to minister to the needs of others. And what better way to reach people than by working on their behalf? As Ellen G. White famously wrote, Christ's method alone would bring true success in reaching the people. The Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy to them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. The Ministry of Healing, page 143. According to one count, Scripture contains 2,103 verses expressing God's special concern for the poor and oppressed. Compared to many other aspects of faith, doctrine and Christian living in general, the weight of references about ministering to those in need is overwhelming. We must get serious about working to relieve the pain and suffering that exist around us. This doesn't take away from our work of spreading the gospel. On the contrary, it can become a powerful way of doing it. Of course, it's a good thing to help others just for the sake of helping them. We should do justly, see Micah 6, 8, simply because it is both right and good to do justice. And yet, is it not even better when doing justice, when helping others in their immediate and temporal needs, also to point them to the reason for the hope that is in you? 1 Peter 3.15 and that is the promise of eternal life in Christ. Jesus healed disease, gave sight to the blind, cured lepers and even raised the dead but all those to whom he ministered were going to die sooner or later anyway, right? So in the long run whatever good he did for them and their immediate needs he also did more. Yes, he ministered to their hurting, but then he bade them, follow me. And that's precisely why we too should minister to the hurting and then bid them follow him. No question, by seeking justice and goodness in the world, we are rehearsing the kingdom of God. See Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. In a way that is at least as faithful, valid and perhaps as effective as preaching it. When we care for the poor and the oppressed, we are actually offering honor and worship to God. See Isaiah 58, 6-10. But if we fail to minister in behalf of the hurting, the suffering, and the broken, we misrepresent him. See Proverbs 14, 31. This quarter, then, we are going to see what the Word of God says, and it says a lot about our duty to minister to the needs of those around us. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10, verse 8. That says it all. I'm Jonathan Duffy and I've served as the president of the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, or ADRA, since 2012. Before joining ADRA Australia in 2008, I served as the director of Adventist Health for the church's South Pacific Division, where I had extensive experience in health promotion and community health development.
0: Sabbath afternoon, June 29. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything that you give to us comes with your goodwill. And we thank you as we open your word this quarter to read and study about what it's like to be the least of these and what we can do to help. We pray that as we open your word today, as we look at our first lesson, that We may see that you created us all equal, that you created us with needs, and that we can help each other fulfill those needs. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Let's read that again, Proverbs 14 verse 31. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his Maker, but he who honours him has mercy on the needy. Have you ever worked to create something, perhaps an item of art or craft, a meal or some other creative work, only to have it broken or rejected by the person you gave it to? If so, you might have just a small glimpse of what God experienced when He made this world, and gave human beings life, only then to see what he created broken by sin. The Bible says that the world was created carefully and created very good. How God felt about his creation is evident in the accounts of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. This is the context in which we should read the story of the fall in Genesis 3, and the heartbrokenness of God as He confronts the people He has made. Remarkably, our world continues to be something that God loves, even despite millennia of sin, violence, injustice, and outright rebellion. And even more remarkably, while God set in motion His plan for redeeming and recreating the world— He has given us, as believers, roles to play in the fulfilment of His larger plans. Yes, we are the recipients of His grace, but from the grace we have received, we have been given our work to do as collaborators with our Lord. What a solemn, sacred responsibility! Sunday, June 30. God, a Glimpse of Creation This world and all life in it, our own life and all we do with it, the lives of everyone around us and how we interact with others, life itself and how it is best lived, all these begin with God. For in him we live and move and have our being, we read in Acts 17, verse 28. Here's where the Bible story begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis one, And the fact that he spoke it into existence points to a power and a process that we can't even begin to imagine. And yet, God didn't create from a distance. He was intimately involved, especially when it came to creating the first human being, as we read in Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Question. Read the story of the creation of the first human beings in Genesis 1, 26-31. What important things does this account tell us about God? What important things does it tell us about people? Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of all the earth.' and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. It has often been said... we can learn a lot about God from spending time in nature, from looking at his creation and seeing in it glimpses of the character of the creator himself. But we also can see glimpses of how God created the world to be from examining our understanding of God himself. For example, if God is a God of order, we should expect to find order in his creation. Or, If we believe that God is a God of creativity, we should not be surprised to find incredible examples of that creativity in the world he made. Similarly, we believe that God is a God of relationships, and so we find relationships as a core element in how God put the world together. He created each element of the world in relation to the rest of creation. He created animals in relational harmony. He created human beings in relationship with himself, with each other, and with the rest of creation. While our understanding of God is limited in many ways, what we can see of his character should prompt us to reconsider how the world should be. Question. How helpful is it to your understanding of the world to see it as a reflection of the character of God, even with the ravages of sin so readily apparent. Monday, July 1, A Complete World It is easy to feel homesick for Eden. There is something in the brief descriptions of the garden that God created as the home for Adam and Eve that sparks a note of longing in our hearts. We may not understand how such a world would work, but we feel we would like to experience it. It seems the sense of satisfaction and completeness also was something that God felt. As we read in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God made something that was both beautiful and functional. It was exquisite in its design, in both form and practicality. It was vibrant with life and colour, but also filled with everything necessary for life to flourish. No wonder God kept pausing to muse that this world— that he was making was good question read genesis chapter 1 what do you think it meant by the repeated statements that god saw that it was good in verse 4 and god saw the light and it was good and god divided the light from the darkness and verse 10 and god called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and god saw that it was good. And verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And verse 18, And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And verse 25, And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Even though written entirely after the fall, the Bible is filled with celebrations of the natural world, such as in Job chapter 38 through to Job chapter 41 and Psalm 148. And we must remember that these are not written as a glimpse looking back to how the world was when first created and before sin. They are written in the present tense, celebrating the goodness that is still evident in our world. Jesus, too, drew examples of god's goodness and care from the natural world. see for example matthew six verse twenty six and verses twenty eight to thirty matthew six twenty six look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they and verses commending both our reliance on God and an appreciation of the simple gifts that surround us with wonder. If we open our eyes and look at the marvels of creation, we can see that we are truly the recipients of marvellous gifts from our Creator. Our response, even amid trials, should be one of gratitude, thankfulness and humble surrender to the gift-giver. As Seventh-day Adventists, those who both celebrate creation and anticipate God's coming kingdom, we should realise that the beauties, joys and goodness we see and experience in the world are glimpses of what our world once was, and what it will again be. So to finish the day, in your experience of the natural world, what do you especially appreciate about the wonders of creation? In your daily life, how might you be able to know the Lord better through the wonders of the natural world? Tuesday, July 2, Stewards of the Earth According to the Bible's record, the Garden of Eden and the newly created Earth were places of abundance, created for life to flourish, and particularly for human beings to enjoy. But God also gave the first man and woman, and the rest of us who would come after them, a role to play in His creation. It quickly became obvious, and not just from his method of creation, that Adam and Eve were to have a special status in this new world. Adam was first given the job of naming the animals and birds, as we read in Genesis 2.19, out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Then he was given another role, presented as a blessing from God himself in Genesis 1.22. God blessed them and said to them, "'Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground.'" Question Read and compare Genesis one twenty eight and Genesis two hundred fifteen. How would you characterize the human job description in a sentence or two? Genesis one twenty eight Again then God blessed them and God said to them Be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Too often in Christian history, Genesis 1.28 has been used by some as a license to exploit, even to the point of destroying the natural world. Yes, the world obviously was created for human life, benefit and enjoyment, but the human responsibility is to work it and take care of it, in the words of Genesis 2.15. When we talk about stewardship, our first thought is often about money, but the first command for stewardship in the Bible is to care for the earth that God has created and entrusted to us. The command to Adam and Eve also foresaw that the earth would be shared with their children and with future generations. In the original plan for the world, the created world would continue to be a source of life, goodness and beauty for all human beings, and Adam and Eve would have a big role in taking care of it. The earth is still the Lord's, as you read in Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, and we are still called to be stewards of all that God has given us. Perhaps we could conclude as well that in a fallen world our responsibility as stewards is often greater. And so to finish the day, what does it mean to you to be a steward of the earth today in a fallen world? How should the realisation of this responsibility affect how you live on a day-to-day basis? day july 3 a broken world one thing god gave adam and eve that he didn't give anything else on earth was moral freedom they were moral beings in ways that plants animals and trees could never be god valued this moral freedom so much that he allowed the possibility that his people would choose to disobey In doing so, he risked all that he had created for the larger goal of a relationship with his human creatures based on love and free will. But there was also a destroyer. This moral freedom existed for angels as well, one who wanted to disrupt the good and complete world God created and sought to use God's special creation on earth, human beings, to do that. Speaking through the serpent, the devil questioned the completeness and sufficiency of what God had provided. We read this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "'Has God indeed said, "'You shall not eat of every tree of the garden?' the primary temptation was to covet more than God had given them, to doubt the goodness of God and to rely on themselves. In that choice and that act, the relationships that were integral to the creation as God had designed it were broken. No longer did Adam and Eve enjoy the relationship with their Creator that they had been designed for, as we read in Genesis 3, 8-10. These two human beings suddenly realised that they were naked and ashamed, and their relationship with each other was almost irreparably altered. Their relationship with the rest of the earth also was strained and broken. Question, read Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. What do these verses tell us about the changed relationships between human beings and the natural world? Genesis three sixteen through to 19. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have taken from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Because of the reality of sin, life suddenly got a lot harder for Adam. Eve, and the rest of creation. The consequences of sin are real, particularly as they affect humanity and our relationships. In a sense, we are distant from God, our Creator. Our families also are affected in many ways, and our relationships with others are often a challenge. We even struggle in relation to the natural environment and the world in which we live. All aspects of our lives and our world show the brokenness caused by sin. But this is not how God created the world to be. The curses of Genesis 3 also come with a promise that God would make a way to recreate our world and to repair the relationship that had been broken by sin. While we continue to struggle with sin and its effect in our lives... We are called to uphold the original goodness of the world and to seek to live out in our lives the plan God has for this world. Thursday, July 4, The Family Web of Humanity With the arrival of sin, it did not take long for the world to break down further. Sparked by jealousy, misunderstanding, and anger, the first murder involved the first pair of brothers. When God questioned Cain about his sin, his reply was ironic and rhetorical. Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4 verse 9. And the answer implied by God's initial question was, Yes, absolutely, you are your brother's keeper. Question, read Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. What is implied in this apparently simple statement? What does it tell us about our relationship to our fellow human beings? Proverbs 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Everyone we meet is one of God's creatures, created in His image, and part of the network of relationships that connects us all in God's creation, fractured and broken though it might be. As Ellen White writes in Ministry of Healing, page 345, we are all woven together in the web of humanity. The evil that befalls any part of the great human brotherhood brings peril to all. End of quote. Like it or not, because of this common link, we have a God-given responsibility to God and to each other, as we read in Matthew 22, verses 37 through to 39. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Throughout the Bible, the claim that God is our Creator is recurring. For example, it is one of the reasons given for remembering the Sabbath, as we read in Exodus 20 verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. And for worshipping God in the end time, as we read in Revelation 14, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. It also is a primary motivation given for caring about others, for being concerned for the less fortunate. We are all linked by the bond of our common origins in God. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their Maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God, it says in Proverbs 14 verse 31. How much clearer could that link be? God as our Creator has a claim on us that demands our entire life, including our worship and our service and care for others as difficult and frustrating and inconvenient as it might be at times, we are indeed our brother's keeper. So to finish the day, why do you think God's claims as Creator are such a recurring theme throughout the Bible? Why is this so important? And how should this reality affect how we treat others? Friday, July 5. God is love, we read in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 33. His nature, his law is love. It ever has been. It ever will be. The high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose ways are everlasting, changeth not. With him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every manifestation of creative power is an expression of infinite love. The sovereignty of God involves fullness of blessing to all created beings. End of quote. And from Welfare Ministry, page 16, If men would do their duty as faithful stewards of their Lord's goods, there would be no cry for bread, none suffering in destitution, none naked and in want. It is the unfaithfulness of men that brings about the state of suffering in which humanity is plunged. God has made men his stewards, and he is not to be charged with the sufferings, the misery, the nakedness, and the want of humanity. The Lord has made ample provision for all. End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, look carefully at the last Ellen White statement above. What is she saying? Who is she saying is ultimately responsible for so much of the poverty we see? What should this tell us about the importance of faithful stewardship? 2. After thousands of years of the brokenness caused by sin, how possible is it for us still to see the goodness of creation? As people who believe in the Creator God, what can we do to help others see the goodness of His creation? 3. What do you understand by the word stewardship? Has anything in this week's lesson expanded your thinking about what it means to be a steward, particularly as we are called by God? For How might it change the way we relate to and treat others if we were to see a sign on every person we meet that reminded us that this person is created by God in His image and loved by Him? So to summarise this week's lesson, God created a good and complete world, and He appointed human beings, created in His image, to tend and care for His creation. Though sin broke the relationships that God had originally intended for us, we still have a role to play as stewards of the goodness of creation and caretakers of our fellow human beings. Fulfilling this role is one way we can honour God as our creator. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Girl Prayed for Angels and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Food ran out on Sunday morning in nine-year-old Joanne's home. Father abandoned the family after mothers started attending the Seventh-day Adventist church in the US state of Oregon. Father, who had immigrated with the family to the United States from South Korea, made it clear he would never help them. If you choose God... "'Let your God feed you,' he said. "'Let your God clothe you.'" Mother, who didn't have a job, prayed and cried in her bedroom that Sunday. When lunchtime came, Joanne's younger sister complained forlornly, "'I'm hungry.'" Her older sister sat stone-faced, trying to be brave, even though he was helpless. Then Joanne remembered reading in Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories about children who prayed, and received help from angels. "'All we have to do is pray!' she exclaimed. "'Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories say that if we pray, the angels will bring us food. Let's pray.' Brother rolled his eyes. Little sister complained again about her hunger. Joanne didn't know how to pray. "'Hello, God,' Joanne said. "'We are really hungry. Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories say that You can send us food, so would you send us something to eat, please? The children waited, no food, hours passed, and dinner time came. Joanne thought, What's wrong? God is late. The children grew hungrier. Mother continued praying and crying in the bedroom. Then Joanne said, Oh, I know what we did wrong. God doesn't think that we believe him because we didn't set the table. She told her little sister to fetch metal chopsticks from the kitchen. The children set the table and sat down. "'Sorry about that, God,' Joanne prayed. "'We probably did it wrong. "'Could you send us some food now? "'We're ready.' But nothing came. The children climbed into bed, disappointed and hungry that night. Early in the morning, they woke up to go to school. They had no food for breakfast and no money to buy lunch. "'Don't bother, Mother.' Joanne whispered. The children opened the front door to leave the house, but their path was blocked by a huge box filled with food. Excitedly, the children called their mother to the door. She couldn't believe her eyes. Joanne was overjoyed. The angels were just a little late, she said. At that moment, Joanne knew that God lives and that he hears and answers prayers. Joanne Kim... Park is now the mother of four children. She and her husband, John, a dentist, are missionaries in Mongolia. And there's a photograph of her here. After the food miracle, Joanne, pictured left, is convinced that angels are Korean. I will tell you today that angels are Korean, she said. The food that they delivered was all Korean. Everything we need to make rice, kimchi,